Well, uh, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We'll be in chapter 13 this morning, starting in verse 1. And if you're using one of the Bibles we provide, it's page 1009, all right, 1009. We'll be in Hebrews 13. And uh, as, as you turn there, I just want to lead us uh, to pray and ask God uh, to speak to us and help us as he speaks to us from his word. So uh, let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that you are a good God and that you are a, a great God. We sing about your greatness, God. Thank you for being a great God. Thank you for being a God worthy of our attention. Lord, thank you for being a God that is worthy of our love, our affection, uh, that you've loved us so much through Christ, just as we see uh, in his life, death, and resurrection, uh, that we can now be filled with, with your love and that we can uh, overflow your love to the people around us and back to you. And so, God, we need you to speak to us every single day, every single um, Sunday that we gather here. This is not just a, a, a religious ritual, Lord. This is about a relationship with you, the one who made us. And so, God, help us to receive from you today. Again, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, this morning I want to speak to you on the uncomfortable subject of our comfort. More than we can begin to realize, comfort is the oxygen of our culture, all right? So just think about like a, like a fish that is oblivious to the presence of water, so we often can fail to realize and recognize that comfort is the air we breathe. Just think about it. We walk around in nice comfortable shoes. We drive around in nice, comfy cars or take our Ubers in nice, comfy cars. We travel in planes that allow us to feed our addiction to entertainment while we fly the friendly skies. We sit on comfy furniture, enjoy comfort food, and take comfortable vacations to bask in an environment of comfort. If all that doesn't convince you, let me just take you to the words of research scientist Stan Cox when he says this about America. If India, Indonesia, and Brazil used as much energy per capita for air conditioning as the United States, it would require 100% of those countries' electricity supplies plus all the electricity generated by Mexico, the UK, Italy, and the entire continent of Africa. Welcome to America. Our pursuit of comfort is pervasive. And my fear this morning uh, for myself and for you is that this, this comfort that we seek after, this physical comfort that we just live in day by day by day, what it can do is that it can create a desire for spiritual comfort within our souls, and that desire for spiritual comfort can absolutely stifle the vision that God has for our lives. 
But here's a greater fear. This, this preference for comfort can quickly become, okay, quickly become the lens by which we see Jesus Christ. We, we as human beings, we have an uncanny ability. This is what's been going on since the, the beginning of our humanity, all right, is, is that we, we want to fashion God into something that we really, really like, you know? Like if there's anything that God is or God asks of us that we don't like, we just kind of reshape and refashion him. And, and what we do is we refashion him into our likeness. And so all of a sudden, the Jesus of our image, the American Jesus, is a God of comfort. That's why we need today a heavy dose, a heavy dose of Hebrews 13 that that gives us a different picture of Jesus. Hebrews is an extended meditation. Some people say it's, it's actually a sermon. If you look at just how it's talking about who Jesus is and he's, he's greater and better than everything and everyone and, uh, and, and then there's these exhortations to like put it into practice. That's a good sermon, by the way. It's the truth of God and how that is relevant to our lives. That's what we try to do every week around here. Um, but, but it's an extended meditation on who Jesus is and his cross and encouraging people, namely these uh, new Jewish converts to Christianity, it's why it's called Hebrews, all right, is to say, hey, continue persevering in the ways of Jesus. Keep following Jesus. Don't turn back to these old ways that did not bring you life. And so what do these verses teach us here? Let's read them together. You can follow along and read on the screen as I read them for us. Hebrews 13 verse 1 says this, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach 
he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The heart of this text, I want you to zoom in on it here. The heart of this text, I believe, is verses 11, 12, and 13, all right? And what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's drawing a comparison between the day of atonement when Jewish people on this one day of the year, they sent the great high, the high priest uh, into the Holy of Holies where he would atone for this, his own sin and the sin of all the people, all right? So it was a day of purification, a day to focus on their relationship with God and to make things right uh, where they had maybe gone astray. And he sees the day of atonement, and then he sees the day of the death of Christ on a Roman cross. And he says, just as the high priest would sacrifice these bulls and goats, and, and they would sprinkle the blood on the altar and, and to make atonement for sin, uh, sacrificing these animals, what they would do with the remains of the animal is they would take them outside the city, outside of the gates of Jerusalem. Why? Because that was the place of rejection, exclusion, and shame. And the writer sees Jesus Christ, the true and greater sin offering, the perfect suffering Savior, hanging on a Roman cross outside of the gates of Jerusalem, bearing our rejection, our exclusion, and our shame. And he says, Jesus went out. He went to the place of discomfort so that we could be brought in. And so as we think about what what the writer is, is bringing to us today that we want to hold on to for more than 40 minutes but hang on to all of this week and moving forward throughout our lives is that as verse 13 would say, look, look at verse 13 again. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. The call of Christ is for us to go out beyond our own comfort so that other people might also be brought in to the life of Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to give you three ways, okay? Three ways to resist following the American Jesus, which is no Jesus at all. Number one, if we're going to follow the Jesus of the Scriptures... The, the true son of God, all right, we need to be willing to make uncomfortable choices, all right? Make uncomfortable choices. Well, what we see here is that Jesus died not only to get us into a relationship with God, but also then verse, the words of verse 12, in order to sanctify people by his blood. What does that mean? 
It means that Jesus died not only to give you a right standing before God, that's justification, but he died so that we would be sanctified, that we would be made right with God, be made more and more and more in this life into the image of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be like Christ. But you and I both know that, that this is not just like an easy thing. You know, it sounds like we, we wake up and we think like Jesus thinks and we want what Jesus wants and we love what Jesus loves. We need God's help in this. And so the writer here, again, this is like a flurry of exhortations, a flurry of encouragements. He's, he's, he's spouting off one after the other. And what is, what is so fascinating to me, right? And we all, like, we, we're so, like, C.S. Lewis talks about chronological snobbery. You know, it's like we've progressed so far, you know. Like, we're so far beyond, you know, what was going on in the first century. And it's just like, well, hello. The idols that he addresses right here are the same idols that we face every single day. Let me just name four of them. Number one is the idol of self. Look, look at verses one through three again. Such beautiful verses. This is encouragement, right? Let brotherly love continue. Brother and sister, like a family love continue in the church. Then in verse two, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some people have entertained angels and not known it. Amazing, amazing truth. And then he says in verse 3, remember those in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. What, what keeps us? What keeps us from loving one another like Jesus has loved us? What keeps us from opening up our lives and opening up our homes, not just to the people that we love and like, but even to strangers? That's what, the, what it says. To strangers and to even go and visit people in prison and those that are suffering or mistreated and extend mercy and compassion. What, what keeps us from that? And I think very simply, it's the idol of self, right? I'm too busy. I mean, I don't, I don't have the resources. No, no one will want to hang out with me, right? And But the essence of love, I love this. I love, I love love. I love what love is. The essence of love is self-giving for the benefit of someone else. That's the love of God. That's Jesus hanging on the cross, giving his very life for us that we might be brought back to God. And so first he tackles the idol of self. Then he addresses the idol of Sex. Verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Pretty, pretty comprehensive. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And so the goal is simply this. It's, it's sexual purity inside and outside of marriage. It's allowing nothing to taint your affection for your spouse if you're married or your future spouse if you're single, if God has that for you. And so in another place, it would say in 1 Corinthians 6.18, it would say flee sexual immorality. We live in a sex-crazed culture. Sexual temptation hits us from all sides. If that's not the reality for you, then I thank God for that, and I just say that that's not the common place for most people. 
the people at Freedom International say this. They, they say that, that our generation, and I love this, the first part of it at least, um, that our generation, unlike any other generation, both fights human tra- trafficking and consumes porn like no other generation in the history of the world. They say to do this is like protesting a corrupt politician and then donating to his campaign. Oh, God, help us. God, help us be pure. We don't take our sins seriously enough. And then, he, and then he hits the idol of money. If we're not having fun yet, let's talk about money. First century, oh, so, eh. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If, here's a question. If we could peer into your bank statement, what story would it tell? What, what, what would it say about your values? What would it say about the place of God and his kingdom in your life? And listen, I understand, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a human being like the rest of you. I live in Boston like the rest of you. It's thinking expensive around here, right? We may not have a lot of money to, 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 to go around or whatever by the time we pay our bills and put food on the table. And yet God is saying, be content, be generous with what you have. And I love the motivation here. I mean, there's just gospel motivation. That means grace, like what God has done for us by his grace through Jesus, just motivating everything. Why? Because he says, listen, uh, God has said, like, what's going to help you be content? What's going to help you be generous? God has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I've got you. I'm with you. We can confidently say, quoting the Old Testament here, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I can be generous because God's got my back. Listen, we were praying a pre-service prayer, and we were, we were praying about just the, 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 the cost of following Jesus, and someone brought up, uh, just started praying about how that um, in 100 years, in 100 years, no one's going to give a rip about how much money you had or what kind of car you drove. No one's going to care. And this is exactly the argument. I mean, it's so tight what, what the Bible writers do. And when he says to, like, go, go outside the camp, get uncomfortable, be like Jesus, in verse 13, you know what he follows it up with? Verse 14, which says what? For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Yo, newsflash, we're not living for this world. If you're in Christ, there's a, there's a better world ahead. Incalculable riches are waiting for us in Christ. We're living for that place, not this place, this life. And so we have God help us with the idols of self and sex and money. And then another one that's so related to the idol of self. But in verse 7, we see the idol of our autonomy. In other words, um, it's just an encouragement uh, to, in, in the church to uh, remember and respect your leaders, those who spoke the word of God over you, to consider the outcome of their life and follow their way of life. 
And, and yet we, we live, and I think this is intri- increasingly true of, of, of younger generations, and some of it is understandable because, as we talked about a few weeks ago, like sometimes leadership's just not that great in, 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 the, in the culture, in the church also. But our resistance to authority is evidence of our desire for autonomy. What that means, autonomous, is means like uh, I'm, I'm good by myself and I don't need, I don't need other people. But, but, but maybe if you struggle with this, it's what you need to hear. If you, if you struggle to submit to human authority, you will also struggle to submit to God's authority because God is the one who gives us human authority. If you can't follow, you can't lead. None of us are exempt. I'm not exempt from temptation in any of these areas. If you thought pastors were like perfect and, you know, now you know. I can be selfish. I can be tempted to to sexual temptation or to um, treasure money more than I treasure God and the people around me. I can be tempted to autonomy. I can think that I have it right. I know best. I don't have to listen to anyone else. But here's what I love. This is what I love about God. Is that God is so determined to sanctify us through the blood of Jesus that he will not stop doing what he does until he makes us like him. By the way, this is a miracle. In numerous places, all right, in 1 Corinthians 3 and in Colossians 3, okay, it says that we are being made into the same image, all right? We are being made into the same image of Jesus. And if you don't think that's a big deal, Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the exact representation of God's being and the radiance of his glory, You and me. Like that. That's where God's taking us. That's why we fight for vision. That's why we keep coming back to the word. We keep saying, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to live this book. Live in a supernatural way. And I love that he actually, he actually gives us more on how we get there. All right? Just, just keep reading. Verses 9 and 10. Don't be led away by diverse and strange teaching, for it's good to be heart, for the heart to be what? Strengthened by grace. And so the, the way that we become like Christ is by feeding on Christ. This is what he's talking about. Verse 9, uh, he, he's saying, hey, don't, don't follow these strange teachings that say if you eat certain foods, that's going to make you more acceptable before God. He's saying, you know, in verse 10, it's not about priests partaking of the bread of presence that makes them super great or holy before God, but it's about now we know that Jesus is the true manna from heaven. He is the, the, the true bread of life. He is the one that if we uh, take it and, and participate in him, that we'll never hunger or thirst again. And so we're strengthened by grace as we keep coming to Jesus, the true and greater altar, the true, true and greater sacrifice, 
and we just keep receiving what he wants to give us every single day. He just gives us more and more of himself, and we just come and we just keep receiving more and more of him so that we're strengthened to live the life that actually says no to all of these idols and yes to a life of worship before our God. So number one, we need to make uncomfortable choices. Number two, we need to have uncomfortable conversations. In your outline, it's uncomfortable combos, all right, just to keep it colloquial and tight, all right? Uncomfortable combos. Where do we see this in the text? We see it in verse 15. As he's called us, remember, he's called us. Jesus suffered outside the camp. Therefore, we go outside the camp to the place of discomfort. And then he goes on and he says in verse 15, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And so the key instruction here is for us to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that are acknowledging the name of Jesus. You say, well, what does that mean, Tanner? Because when I, when I hear the word praise, I'm thinking about songs. You know, we just sang four. We're going to sing one more before we're done. Those are songs of praise to God, acknowledging who he is. And it's not that it doesn't include that. I hope it does. I love to sing even beyond Sunday mornings, all right? But it's got to be more than that. It's got to be so much more than that. When, when the writer is talking about the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, he is talking about a vision where the name of Jesus is just consistently, and let me say this, naturally, naturally, flowing out of our mouth. This is what God wants for us, and this should not surprise us. Why? Why? Well, verse 12 is the epicenter of, of mission, Right? It's the cross. I mean, what did Jesus do on the cross? He, he died. He sacrificed himself so that you and anyone and everyone could experience the life that, that God wants them to have and live and know. And so verse 12 is the epicenter of mission. That, that should mean that it's more than just a song when we're in the comfy confines of church. But, but then if that doesn't convince you, which I think it should, there's this one little word with five syllables in verse 15 that says what? You're looking for it. I love it. Thank you. That's so good. We dig into the Bible. Church. Continually. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. And so I know you know this, but since we're pressing in on the idol of our comfort, let's all agree that it is much, much, much easier to lift up the name of Jesus in what is probably for most of us our comfort zone right here in church. But how high do we lift the name of Jesus when we are out there living everyday life? This is where discomfort comes. This is where American Jesus is so attractive. He's just so attractive, right? 
Because we start hearing the lies of the evil one that say what? Hey, hey, Jesus wouldn't ask you to do something difficult. Jesus wouldn't want you to be uncomfortable. Jesus wouldn't ever ask you to have an awkward conversation. But then we see Jesus outside the camp and we hear his call to deny ourselves and take up our cross ourselves and follow him and we hear him saying, my love moves past awkward. My love will move you to give of yourself for the sake of other people. My love is willing to pay the price. Listen, maybe you're like me. Maybe it's taken you a long time, a very long time to recognize that the biggest barrier to people hearing about Jesus is not the pressure from the culture or people's attitudes toward religion. The biggest barrier to people hearing about Jesus is me. It's me. So let me say this. If, if it has been weeks, months, or years since you've had a conversation about Jesus with someone who needs to know that he died for them, you love your comfort more than you love Christ. And so do I. Perhaps my tears will tell you that I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. I'm just trying to explain the clear implications of this this passage right here. And if you don't believe the tears of the text, believe this that guilt will only last for about one conversation in one week. But not grace. When we really see who he is, when we really consider what he's done, when we really get excited that he's given us his Holy Spirit to live this humble and yet bold life of love to the people around us, We'll keep zooming in on verse 15. What are the first two words? Through him. Through him. The way that we tell other people about the gospel, the good news, is by the gospel. Look at what Jesus has done for us. Through him, he is our strength. He is our power. He is the one that is moving this mission forward. And so you say, well, Tanner, help me out. Help me out because it's still kind of tough when I go in Monday morning to work or I show up, you know, after, you know, five in my neighborhood or walk into my building and help me out. Because there's a major twofold problem why we don't tell people about Jesus, okay? One is that sometimes we don't know how, but the main problem, as I just hopefully exposed, is our, our hearts, you know? So we just pray God change our hearts and help us. But, but let me give you a couple practical, you know, uh, tips too, all right? Write down these two words, credit and questions, all right? Credit 
and questions. Let me show you how this works, all right? Um, you know, you're at work, you do something nice for someone, that was so nice of you. Now here's an opportunity to give some credit, right? Hey, I really appreciate it, but you remember Kaisha's testimony a couple weeks ago, don't let this pretty face fool you, I didn't used to be this nice. All right, maybe you didn't like that one. Maybe, uh, maybe it's something like this. Wow, it's Q4, and uh, you're the only one at work that's not worried. Well, what do you say? I'm talking about very basic cookies on the bottom shelf responses if you're going to get into a spiritual conversation. I get anxious too, and then I pray. <laughs> or... Uh, maybe, um, you know, I've worked here for 12 years. You're the first person that's ever apologized me and asked me to forgive them. Let me tell you a story. You see, you see how easy that is? Just give me some credit. Credit where credit's due. Or then questions. There's some news in our, our city lately that's about, you know, a vaping ban. Here's, here's a question you can ask. What do you think about the vaping ban? Just with this one question, it took me about five seconds to think about. We can talk about issues of life. We can talk about issues of health. We can talk about issues of governance. And we can get to the gospel in every single direction. See that? I mean, and that's just a very natural to spiritual, right? It's just, or you can just ask, like, hey, you know, I've known you a long time, but I've never, you never, never thought to ask. I've never, you know, you don't have to say you've never had the courage to ask. That'd be more honest probably, but do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs? If you ask that one question with a prayer in front of it, you might be surprised what God does. Credit and questions. When we follow Jesus outside the camp, we will make uncomfortable choices and we will be willing to have uncomfortable conversations. But then number three, to, 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 to bring this home, okay, we also will be willing to make uncomfortable moves. Verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, this may feel a little redundant, because you heard the, you know, City Vision sermon about Jesus' word and deeds, all right? But uh, I'm just for, I just for one, uh, I, I need a little repeat sometimes when I hit a playlist, you know? And so it's not, it's not word and deeds or, sorry, it's not word or deeds. Yes, it's word and deeds, right? It's, it's word and moves. And I love the word moves, okay? I could have chosen actions. I could have chosen, you know, deeds here. Um, but I like the word moves because when you drop the S, what do you get? Move. And this is what we need to do, right? We, we, we need to move toward people in the love of God. We need to open our arms to them and with our hands and our feet serve them in the name of Christ. This is the Spirit-empowered supernatural life. I hope some of you have stories of the fruit of the Spirit overflowing in your life, the gifts of the Spirit outpouring from your life. This is what God has for us. What moves is God calling you to make? Who is God calling you to love? 
How will you follow Jesus outside the camp to move toward people with his love so that you can serve them and point them to him, not one or the other, both and? Here's a dangerous prayer. It's prayed, it was actually probably the, the genesis of the Second Great Awakening in the 19th century. A man named Jeremiah Lamphere in the city of New York started praying this prayer, God, what would you have me do? How simple is that? God, what would you have me do? If you just started praying that every morning when you woke up, God, what would you have me do? You might be amazed by what he shows you. And so I just want to quickly think about this in two spheres, all right? Number one, um, there is the reality of serving one another. There is the reality of doing good and, and sharing with one another. And so on Team Sunday, it would be, um, I would be amiss if I didn't mention that, that the one way we seek to do this together is by serving with the team. We want to see everyone serve with the team. And, and, and listen, maybe we already did this. I just want to do it again. If you serve with the team right now, let's give it up for everyone who serves with the team. If you serve with the team, you should be clapping because other people serve with the team. You're receiving and giving. Thank you right now. And so listen, we, we celebrate you. So many go above and beyond in their service with Redemption Hill. You're making Sundays great. You're making Sundays happen in the life of our church. We are where we are because so many people come together to serve. And listen, what I love, what I love about what verse 16 says, don't miss this, all right, is that every Sunday when you come in to serve, you should be a hearing the applause of God. Why? Because when we do good and we share what we have, it says such sacrifice, sacrifices are pleasing to him. Oh, God has a huge smile on his face when you serve other people. God is the most excited person in the room about your serving. And you may be here, you may be new to Redemption Hill, you may be, you know, kind of like semi-new and been thinking about, you first talk about serving with a team, and you're like, oh, maybe what team, and, you know. And so listen, that's wonderful, that's great. But, but, but here's, here's, the, here's the point from Hebrews 13 as we think about serving one another. Don't let American Jesus slow you down from stepping in to serving someone else. And if you're already serving, don't let the vision of American Jesus slow you down from making more sacrifices for the good of other people. We accomplish it when we do it together. Following Jesus together outside the camp getting uncomfortable, waking up a little early, changing some poopy diapers. Yeah, I just said that in a sermon, all right? We do it inside the family. We do it outside the family, too. Listen, there are thousands of options, thousands of options. Maybe it's doing some good by picking up a shift for a coworker. Sorry, I said that. Maybe it's doing some good by serving to meet a practical need. Maybe it's sharing your time just by bending a listening ear to someone that's hurting. Maybe it's sharing your home and sharing a meal, the resources that God's given you to, to build a relationship with, with someone new. There are so many ways that we can make uncomfortable choices, have uncomfortable conversations, and make uncomfortable moves so that we can bring God maximum glory. So the question I would 
ask in conclusion is this. Will you seek comfort or will you seek Christ? Will you seek comfort or will you seek Christ? F.F. Bruce says this. There outside the camp stood Jesus, calling them to follow him. And he's calling you today. Inside they felt secure, but Jesus claimed the world outside for himself. Time and again in the history of the people of God, a similar call has come when a new advance must be made known into the unknown and unfamiliar to occupy fresh territory under the leadership of Jesus. There is nothing static about him or his cause. To stand still is to fall behind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who knows us best. You're a God who did not hold anything back in how you loved us, but you sacrificed your very son that we could have life in his name. And so, Father, we ask today that whatever needs to uh, change in our lives, Lord, the, the, the places where we're so comfortable, the, the places where we aren't taking our, our pursuit of you serious enough or that where we're not willing to step out and have uncomfortable conversations, Lord, or make uncomfortable moves, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, that you would begin to just tear those places out of our heart, Lord. They, they might be painful, God. It is painful when we, we go in for surgery and yet, Lord, that's how you heal us, Lord. And so, God, would you bring your healing touch today? For anyone who never knew Jesus died for them in the place of exclusion, shame, and rejection, Lord, that they would run to him outside the camp and receive the life that he died to bring them. And God, for all of us, for all of us, we would say, I'm coming again, Lord. I'm coming again. Today, I'm coming again. Tomorrow, I'm coming again. I'm coming to you in the place of discomfort so that other people might know what I know about you. Oh God, set us ablaze with your love. Set us ablaze with your Holy Spirit. We want to see you do the miraculous before our eyes. We're done with anemic Christianity and Christianity that doesn't pay a price, Lord. We want to see you move, God. We want to see you move in our church. Oh God, do it again. Do it again.